0: podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf-Terry,
1: and Luke Romsdorf-Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it.
0: And on today's episode, we're talking about the sixth book in the series, The Cat Who Played Post Office. Published in 1987. Audiobook is same as the previous, still not available on any format other than CD that I can find. Uh, That'll change in a few books, but uh, most of the 1980 published books are still only available on CD, unless you get them illegally. And we do not encourage that.
1: No, we do not. Uh, and this was also published the exact same year as the previous book, The Cat Who Played Brahms, correct?
0: Yes, correct. Uh, the, well, what happened was when they published The Cat Who Saw Red and it became a hit, uh, the publishers realized they could capitalize on the earlier three books as well. Um, and it was, became very clear that Lillian jackson Brown had been writing on this for a while. Mm. So the first couple of years, once she comes back from this, uh, from her 20 year hiatus, she's actually publishing a couple of books a year. Mm. Um, so this one and the previous book were both published in 1987. Uh, the previous four books were all published in 1986 with the reissue of the first three.
1: All right now before we jump into uh, the summary of this I want to of course point out that there are going to be spoilers ahead for this book. So. ye have been warned. So please uh, take a moment go read the book. <laughs> Welcome back <laughs> All right. And so now uh, there is a phrase you're going to be using a lot, too, which is called down below.
0: Yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to start calling these pickaxe phrases because as we become more comfortable with the world of pickaxe and we learn more about it, we're going to come, come across several phrases that um, are very distinctive there. Uh, this book's particular phrase is the phrase down below, and that is a, a proper noun, capital D, capital B. Uh, <laughs> it's how the world 400 miles south of pickaxe is described by the locals. It also, as Quillerin finds out, is a state of mind.
1: And speaking of Quillerin, where do we find him in this book? When we start things off,
0: we start this book when with Quill waking up at Pickaxe General Hospital with amnesia and some very nasty injuries. We have uh, Melinda Goodwinter, who is his doctor, and being overly familiar, "Hello, lover" is a bit intimidating from your doctor. I'm just gonna say
1: and that's the very first thing she says to him.
0: Absolutely, oh. sure, because that's not a that's not gonna be not gonna... A, a HIPAA violation.
1: Um, <laughs> well, Pickaxe maybe operates a bit differently.
0: I'm sure it has to simply. Um, but fortunately, Arch-, Arch Riker shows up and manages to trigger Quill's memory with some stories of their childhood. And after some dramatic recollections of the cats. Oh, my God, where are the cats? Oh, yeah. Fortunately, the cats are being taken care of by the housekeeper. They're oh, fine. Good, good, They're good, fine. Good. We discover that Quill went out biking on the Itty Bitty Wassy Road and had a terrible accident.
1: That is the actual name of the road. That
0: is, in fact, the actual name of the road. I had to spell it twice.
1: Well, looking at this, it's it's a that's a mouthful. <laughs> that's a lot of I's and T's.
0: It And S's and E's. Uh, anyway, Junior Goodwinter was the one who found him and got him to the hospital, but no one knows what caused the accident at this point. And then the book backs up two months to the uh, end of the previous book. So we're now back in mid-July. This book is taking place in approximately early September, mid-September. Okay, um, Still warm enough to go biking. Uh, not so Not so warm that the tourists are everywhere. So we backed up that far, and we are we get confirmation that Quill has decided to accept the terms of Fanny Klingenstein's will. Excellent! He is getting ready to move to Pickaxe to the uh, to Pickaxe for five years to live on the income of the uh, of, of the fortune. They he, he gives an estimate to somebody that it's upward of upwards of a million dollars a year, which adjusted for inflation is about two and a quarter million today.
1: That's pretty good, no matter which way you look at
0: it. I, you know, not More having not good. having to work and getting a court and getting two million a year. I, yeah. I could live with that.
1: I, I think many yes. of us could.
0: <laughs> so and that's just for the first five years until he inherits the whole kit and caboodle.
1: And then he's got the entire but, fortune.
0: Exactly. Now, the, exa- the exact extent Kit- of-
1: Okay, sorry. Kitten caboodle. I see what you did there. <laughs> the cat who said kitten caboodle. Well played. Well played. <laughs>
0: anyway, moving on. <laughs> so the exact extent of Fanny's fortune is never actually stated, which is, I think, wise on Lillian Jackson Braun's part. It, 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 There's no sense of finite amount of money. It's just all the money you could possibly imagine in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, to be fair, if you look at it practically, you assume that she has investments that are still going. Sure. You have... Uh, things that are paying dividends and she's uh, creating new business and, and the fortune is creating new businesses as they go. So it's not just, it's not a stagnant it, amount of money. It's
1: self-sustaining. It exactly. has, like you said, it's making its own money through whether it's investments or interest or whichever. So it's, she's, she's fiscally responsible.
0: She was fiscally responsible when she died, which of course, since she wasn't planning on dying any quite as quickly as she did, it uh, makes sense. <laughs> so Quill decides that he is not going to go back down below, uh, in a full move and move back. What he does is he decides he's just going to leave the cats at the cabin. Mm-hmm. Uh, calls Lori Bamba, who is uh, the postmistress we met in the previous book, okay. to come take that's care right. of the cats. She's also known as the Cat Whisperer.
1: Ah, uh, that's right, so, that's right. Can't so, find
0: better than that. Well, of course.
1: And so I think that's an excellent choice.
0: Yeah. So he, uh, so he leaves the cats. He flies back down below, packs up his meager belongings and then flies back It has excuse me has one last lunch at the press club with our Chico-
1: and this is in Shicleeve Wright Wright
0: unfortunately your favorite Odd Bunsen yeah, is no, not included uh, in that no. lunch it's so sad ah uh, ah uh, well anyway we'll once, say goodbye
1: to Odd Bunsen I think I believe we I believe uh, we do as
0: far as I know we, he, I may be surprised later in the books it's been a while since I've read a lot of them um Anyway, that so after that lunch, after his final lunch with Arch Riker, he flies back to Pickaxe, two flights, both commuters, or puddle jumpers as I know them, uh, to go pick up the cats <laughs> from the cabin and take them to their new home at the K-Mansion. Now, I'm going to remind you that the K-Mansion was built as a thumb-your-nose to the rest of Pickaxe, since all of their fancy houses were built for mining money while the K-Fortune was made in saloon-keeping.
1: And burlesque, eventually. And burlesque.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the... Biggest house in town that no one has ever seen because, of course, the Clingenshones were were not considered polite society and weren't invited to anybody else's house. Ah. So they literally thumbed their nose at everybody by building a bigger and grander house, and then didn't, and invite, then anybody. didn't invite anybody there either. <laughs> it tells you the kind of people you're getting into.
1: So a small town life,
0: absolutely. So we we've, we've gotten to the K Mansion. Quill gets a visit from uh, Alexander and Penelope Goodwinter, who explain the basics of how this is going to work.
1: We're up to four Goodwinters now, I think.
0: Uh, just in this book, yes. Okay. Just, just,
1: just in this book. Just
0: in this book. Um, we've met a few more, and we're going to meet more. Oh, good. Uh, so they they explain how this whole thing is going to work. The scut work for the estate is being handled financially by the law firm that's handling the money trust, so that includes cleaning services, landscape maintenance, blah, 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 blah. And Quill gets an allowance, quote unquote, of several thousand a month, which I did the math, and that's that's about $15,000 a month uh, <laughs> in today's dollars, with which to handle his personal expenses.
1: Which, it's Quill, so he yeah. has very meager... He has, he
0: has meager needs. And they expenses. also, by the way, promised to send a carpenter to fix the mansion's sagging doors, replace all the locks, so that it, he can feel somewhat secure in this giant home that people are used to
1: just being able to wander into. Well, I think install locks, because from the last book, it seems like they didn't even have locks on the doors at all.
0: They they were there in theory, but they weren't solid, apparently. <laughs> they were locks in theory. yes. Now, considering that Quill is brag, literally does brag about fitting his life into two suitcases aside from the cats, he's clearly not going to have a problem with with maintaining his lifestyle to this uh, expectation. But he's also going to get annoyed when people start telling him how he should spend his newfound wealth. Mm. Uh, people are saying, get a word processor, get a new car, blah, blah, blah. Quill is
1: always love to be told how to spend their money.
0: Quill is... Very happy with a second-hand typewriter. He (laughs) likes his used car. It fits the cat's commode. That's all he cared about when he bought it. (laughs) And then Quill comes up with a brilliant idea. He decides that since he doesn't know what to do with all of the money that he will eventually inherit, he wants to establish the Klingenshin Foundation, otherwise known as the K-Fund from here on out, because there is no way I am saying that long ass name again and again and again.
1: Now, that's a choice on your end. That's not something that...
0: Actually, yes. In the books, it becomes the K, it becomes known as the K-Fund. Well, that's good. She says the Klingenshin Foundation once per book. Everything else is the K-Fund. I
1: think that's a wise use of time and saliva in the mouth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So the K-Fund is going to be established to start distributing funds throughout the community and start to fulfill really all of Fanny's promises that we heard about in the previous book. Wonderful. He wants to start with the swimming pool for the high school, the underwater marine preserve for for Mooseville, and he'd like to see the the, the library get some updating since, as he says, it hasn't had a new book since Gone with the Wind.
1: Ooh, and Margaret Mitchell only wrote that book. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Alexander and Penelope <clears throat> are delighted with this idea and jump at the chance to put it into action. Well, Penelope does. Alexander leaves as soon as actual work is mentioned. <laughs> To adjust to his new status, Quill, has to inter- Quill gets to interview various local women to see if he can find himself a housekeeper and cook. Because remember, Quill's culinary skills are more geared towards reheating and instant coffee mm-hmm. And possibly a part-time secretary to start answering all the mail that he's suddenly receiving. The interviews are a hysterical disaster. One lady won't lift, wash, or walk. Another is afraid of cats. And one is looking to just supplement her part-time cow sitting. Cow sitting. Cow sitting. As she explains, sometimes people have a family cow. They want to. They want the fresh <laughs> cream. And then they go on vacation and somebody has to milk the cow.
1: Well, the cow can't just sit there unmilked. Of course not. Exactly. It's some, actually very
0: bad for cows. Some
1: Dutch guy is going to run around and go, I take your milk. Anyway, sorry.
0: Anyway, he does, however, manage to find himself a part-time cleaner, which is Mrs. Fulgrove, who becomes a fixture throughout this series. And she's the first to really speak in what Quill calls the Moose County Cant. Speaking is clipped. It's to the point. Doesn't say much beyond that. (laughs) Along with some exclamations about Lordy B and
1: I'm a a good widow woman. (laughs) Yeah. The things that you would expect to hear in Moose County. Expect to
0: hear in Moose County. The cats are settling in well. Yum-yums discovered the solarium or the sunroom. Coco likes to sit on the stairs when he's not playing the piano in the (laughs) library. And they both get a kick out of the mail, shooting into the polished hallway from the door slot. Now Coco, of course, dubs himself Postmaster. Cat who played post office. Here we go. Ding,
1: ding, 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 ding.
0: (laughs) And he brings Quill the letters that he thinks are important, including one from Lori Bomba, inquiring about being a part-time secretary, oh. and another from Iris Cobb from The Cat Who Turned On and Off, asking if by any chance he could use a housekeeper and a cook.
1: Well, that's very convenient.
0: Exactly. And of he course. correctly jumps on both opportunities. And he gets to enjoy a little bit of his newfound wealth by flying Iris up to pickaxe so she can get oh. a feel for the place before she commits to moving permanently. Oh. Sure, sure. I would also, however, like to say that his comments about her still looking dumpy are not necessary, especially if especially about the woman who's going to save you from your own cooking. Oh, we Quill. love Iris. Iris is the best.
1: <laughs> Putting up with that. Yes,
0: absolutely. Now, as he starts to as he starts to settle in true to his nature, Quill starts nosing around his new home and he discovers the carriage house behind the main mansion, which contains a mystery. The carriage house was originally cut into two apartments, one of which is covered in incredible artistic graffiti that turns out to be the former home of a woman named Daisy Mole, who is a member of the extensive and very disappointing Mole family from a town called (laughs) Dimsdale. And she was a housemaid for Fanny until she absolutely disappeared off the face of the earth.
1: So she was a housekeeper for Aunt Fanny.
0: Yep. And then she just disappeared about five years ago. Hmm. He finds the smaller apartments a little bit more appealing than the giant showplace of a mansion. Shocker there! And when the local interior decorator arrives, this is Amanda Goodwinter, who is the who is the family's famous nonconformist, whose style of dress is described as either a scarecrow or homeless. How, how flattering!
1: This is Goodwinter number five. For five this book.
0: for this book. <laughs> So he asks her about decorating the carriage house as well as the main house. She's first offended, but then a little bit mollified when he says he wants to use it as a writing studio because, of course, everyone thinks, still thinks he's writing a book, including, including Quill. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt that he gently threatens to use a "quote unquote" down below decorator if she's not willing to uh, to cater to his taste. Oh,
1: going right for the throat!
0: Absolutely. <laughs> When she's when Amanda goes to look around the uh, the two apartments, she we realize that Daisy actually used to work for Amanda as well before she came to work for Fanny. Hmm. But apparently Daisy stole some items and was fired. And Amanda describes Daisy as cute girl, not a brain in her head. Hmm. So this this cute girl has still managed to disappear without a trace, and no one knows. No one knows where she is, and at. very few people care, which I think is sadder. Oh, that's that is sad. Yeah. Oh. On happier things, Iris Cobb has arrived in pickaxe with with news and her new appraiser's credentials. This is hugely valuable to the estate. Not only is she going to be able to be a cook and a housekeeper, but she's also going to be able to value the
1: estate effectively
0: because she has her license in whatever state this is.
1: Well, and everything that's in the, the apartment, all the antiques and whatnot. Yeah, no, so this is going to be very good. She's great. Not the apartment, the manor. I'm the, sorry. the manor, the, the mansion.
0: <laughs> um, unfortunately, her news, not so good. Apparently, Arch and his wife Rosie are divorcing, and oh, no. the reason that Iris can come up to pickaxe is because Rosie is taking over the Cobb's antique shop. She's still wearing a lot of pink. Has a new addition though: rhinestone framed glasses.
1: <laughs>
0: Stylish lady. Now, the instant Thank she sees so. the mansion, she wants the job. Immediately proves useful because she starts save because she saves some early American furniture that Amanda had marked for removal. Uh, from the house, saying it's worthless. But according to Iris, this is very important Pennsylvania German-Dutch furniture, wow. which makes sense uh, from the history of, of the
1: of the Klingenschen. Mm-hmm. With that name With like that. With that name yes, like so that. Pennsylvania Dutch. So Pennsylvania Absolutely. Dutch. And German
0: not exactly. Absolutely. She saves this beautiful piece, and she immediately starts a catalog of the actual antiques that are in the main house. Quill takes her to, to meet Penelope so they can work out a contract, and Penelope is less than impressed despite Iris's impressive credentials. And then she is even more appalled that Quill is planning to have Iris live in the main house in a French suite, um, <laughs> while he li- while he plans to eventually live in the carriage house with the cats.
1: That seems more fitting for Quill, regardless.
0: It really is, and it really shows that Penelope's just a terrible snob. <laughs> Now, over
1: dinner, those good winters, you
0: know. Oh well, some of them apparently. Over dinner at the horrible Otto's Tasty Eats, this is kind of like a backcountry golden corral. (laughs) It's also, by the way, a running gag in these in these books that the restaurants at Pickaxe start off absolutely. Terrible. Ugh. And I'm not sure if this is because uh, LJB was a foodie or really just liked to write about food, and this gives her an excuse. One or the other, she likes writing about bad food, <laughs> rubbery chicken, things tasting like sawdust. It's mm. She really enjoys writing about bad food, particularly. Yes. Cool's at dinner with Melinda at this wonderful restaurant, and Melinda kind of explains that her cousins are the last of the hardline Good Winter snobs, <laughs> uh, but the Penelope is the brains, and Alex gets by on charm. The, uh, the when she, when she talks about being the hardline goodwinter stops that's because the goodwinter because the goodwinter family has been in moose county for 5 generations wow and after making their fortune in mining unlike the other mine owners they stayed in the county and instead of moving back below with the exception of a few black sheep who either changed their names or moved to mexico apparently mexico mexico so they tell me <laughs> so this is a very very old family that is in some way shape or form related by blood or marriage to every other old family in the area mm-hmm. so it's understandable that they've got they they have to with that kind of family pride they they have to have, have raised a couple of very bad snobs
1: uh, uh, yeah i would assume with that kind of pedigree and credentials yes yeah, exactly
0: and they're and, you know and of course they're rich so <laughs> makes it even worse melinda however is a victim of the coco curse as i'm starting to call it. Uh-oh. He's not a fan of Melinda and he takes to either scaring Quill by disappearing whenever she comes over um or leading her to the door at 11 p.m. so she'll go home.
1: <laughs> but during... it's a big house to get lost in and run away. Absolutely. And
0: during one of his disappearances though he uncovers a box of Daisy Mole's winter clothes. Really? Which when Quill and Melinda find him and the clothes that leads uh, them to assume that maybe Daisy disappeared somewhere warm because they huh. found the winter clothes. Right. This, uh, Roger then appears after, you know, a few days later, Roger appears and takes Quill to dinner at another restaurant that they get to. Roger McGilvery. McGilvery. He is married to Sharon Hanstable from the previous book.
1: Okay. Okay. Yes.
0: He's he's the guy who ran the tourism development.
1: Ah, uh, yes.
0: Uh, and is a is a former history teacher. Basically, when Roger appears, you know you're about to get a history lesson on pickaxe.
1: That's right.
0: That's he right. Is, he is he is a wealth of knowledge, and he takes Quill to the oldest flop house in the country, which is known as the Hotel Booze. <laughs> Melinda's out of town at this point, uh, in Paris for a medical conference. Sure.
1: A very fancy medical conference. Very or knows? very,
0: uh, gold plated uh, gold plated scalpels and all. <laughs> and so roger and and sharon is working late so roger decides he needs a little bit of company for the night so we had a crash course in moose county history including the disappearing town of dimsdale the only thing officially left is the mine shaft but unofficially it's a shanty town and roger knows this very well because he used to teach at the high school so the key would mm. see the kids from dimsdale getting bussed in to have classes with the with the pickaxe kids i see And then a fun little anecdote about the hotel booze. They used to nail your boots to the wooden sidewalk if you'd had too much to drink so you wouldn't walk home. (laughs) And they also gossip, of course, about Penelope and Alexander. He is the confirmed bachelor who must have a secret woman in D.C., and Penelope is the confirmed careerist who never dates. Hmm. And then Quill learns a very important fact. There is no whistling in pickaxe.
1: And the reason for that is because of the mining town.
0: Exactly. You didn't want to whistle in a mine.
1: Mm, kind of
0: like you don't want to whistle backstage when they used to use whistle cues to know when to raise and lower the flies. Mm, mm, very, similar very reason true. for a similar reason for the mines. Very true. Of course, being the contrarian that he is, Quill starts whistling when he's home.
1: <laughs> no one's going to hear him there.
0: <laughs> it, well, except for the cats. And the cats, by the way, are not impressed. Coco takes off for uh, parts unknown in the attic again. Uh, <laughs> this time helping Quill unearth Daisy Mole's summer wardrobe. I feel like this is like the line in Adam's family... Uncle Nicknack's summer wardrobe, Uncle Nicknack's winter wardrobe, no, Uncle Knickknacks. Fortunately, we
1: we don't find Uncle we don't Ni- find that it's we don't Mr. find Uncle Nicknack in this case. But her winter clothes are still there, and so are her summer clothes. Exactly, so, but hmm. in the summer
0: clothes have an extra surprise. They've got an assortment of handmade baby clothes.
1: Oh, oh!
0: So uh-huh. it looks like she may have been pregnant or was planning to be pregnant. Hmm. This is followed up by a very strange meeting with Penelope, the banker and the accountant for the K estate, uh, where Quill makes it very clear he does not want to join the country club. He doesn't want to take up golf or learn to fish, uh, all three of which he is told he should be doing, thanks to this meeting.
1: Well, I think if you're going to be living in a town like Pickaxe, you're going to have to do those things. Not those... necessarily. Well, no, of course, but it's similar. It's. I,
0: I think it's more the expectation. He, 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 Quill's resistance, I think, is the expectation that he should do these things because he's rich, not because ah. he might actually enjoy them.
1: Well, that makes sense. Part of it, I think of it. Where I went to college was in a ski town. Was in a ski town, mm-hmm. and I did not ski.
0: Whereas I grew up in a ski town. I and don't you ski did either. not ski either. So
1: <laughs> same kind of thing. It's like, oh, you must have skied a lot.
0: No, no, not really.
1: Not really. <laughs> anyway,
0: after the awkward meeting, Quill joins Junior Goodwinter at the Dimsdale. Uh, excuse me, it's also known as the Dismal Diner uh, <laughs> for more gossip. <laughs> This Dimsdale Diner is a strictly hats-on place. Remember, this is the casual dining environment. Mm-hmm. And the gossip is as thick as a cigarette smoke. And remember, people used to smoke in restaurants.
1: Yes, they did. Smoking or not. This, this may even be the day before before that delineation. Smoking exactly. or not smoking. Wow.
0: And we also have our first encounter with WPKX and the infamous news reports on the hour. Now, last uh, we were talking about this, and you said that there's a fun fact about uh, what WPKX tells us.
1: Yes. If it's a radio station, I know this from my college days, having been a uh, the news director for KWSB 91.1 FM Gunnison, Colorado uh, But if it is Has the prefix of W As in WPKX It's east of the Mississippi If it's west of the Mississippi It is K There is actually an a different distinction That I've just remembered now too If it's N or A It's military Oh, interesting So radio stations that begin with an N or an A Are military But this one WPKX this is in West. This is uh, East of the Mississippi. So that again kind of confirms the whole Chaklevroyd thing, where it's kind of in that <laughs> the Great Lakes area or Absolutely. somewhere close near the Blue Wall. Who knows?
0: Back to the story. Coco is continuing to sort correspondence. Turns up a postcard that's supposedly from Daisy instructing Fanny and Missus Fulgrove to throw out her things, hmm. which they didn't do, um, since she won't need them and need anything at her new job in Florida.
1: But she didn't take any of her.
0: Summer clothes. Oh, Apparently, okay. she's going to need every. She's going to have everything she needs provided for her. But there's a problem. The postcard has a Maryland postmark.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's not suspicious uh, at not all. Not suspicious at all. Yeah. Mrs.
0: Uh. Fulgrove uh, does confirm that she packed up the clothes and stored them in the attic as she was let, asked to do, and did. Uh, the attic, by the way, was meant to be a ballroom, but it was never finished. Hmm. Um, and after that, Mrs. Fulgrove didn't ask any questions. Mildred Hanstable, however, this is Roger's mother-in-law, mm-hmm. um, was Daisy's art teacher. And Quill shows her the postcard when she asks him up to the cabin for blueberry pie. According to Mildred, it's definitely not Daisy's handwriting. Mostly because the spelling is correct. Sadly, Moose County has a terrible illiteracy problem. Oh. Um, and Daisy was not the greatest student, so while she could draw beautifully, she apparently could not spell to save her life. No. Quill decides that it might be a good idea to ask uh, Alexander Penelope's firm for C- for employment records to see when she actually worked for Fanny and see if that kind of helps give a time that she might Mm -hmm. have disappeared sure sure so when quill returns to the k mansion he finds the promised carpenter birch tree the the real last name is Trevelyan. we're calling him birch tree
1: and this is the one who's come to fix the doors
0: he's come to fix all of the doors uh, and put the locks in and etc etc he's not working he's in the kitchen getting his palm read by iris and apparently uh, apparently eating most of the coconut cake that quill was should have been enjoying for his evening meal and quill is annoyed I would be too. I love coconut cake, so it's disappointing to see that it went to the uh, <laughs> that it's being used as a
1: carpenter bride, Mr. Tree.
0: Yes, Birch claims that he can do most of the repairs fairly easily, but it's gonna take But it's gonna take time and a lot of money. <laughs> um, fortunately, money is not the object, but it takes the promise of Iris's Huckleberry pancakes to get him to promise to actually start the work. <laughs> After he leaves, um, Iris says politely to Quill what everyone is apparently thinking when Quill has an old bike in the garage repaired and he gets ready to go take it out for a bike ride it's it's not fitting for a man in your position to ride such a rattle
1: trap <laughs> i mean to be fair thank you mrs landingham <laughs>
0: Exactly. To be fair to Iris, the 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 bike is one that Quill found in the garage that had two flat tires and the chain and the chain missing, mm. and he figured out that he can uh, that he can replace the bike, he can replace the tires and the chain for considerably less apparently than they want for a new 10 speed. <laughs> so he goes, uh, but easy h- fix. Go easy your- easy fix. He does that. <laughs> um, he takes the old takes the old bike off on a ride, um, and. After, after which he reaches out to Mildred to make an attempt to interview Daisy's mother who's still living in Dimsdale um, her mother Della to see if she knows what happens to her happen to her daughter but before he can keep their appointment apparently Della overdoses. overdoses on what? It's never stated. Della, unfortunately had a drug problem, which mm. is another moose County problem um, uh. but she dies of an apparent overdose mm. so we never we never get to go out and meet Della. Later in that week, uh, we meet Tiffany Trotter, which is the name of the part-time cow sitter Quill attempted to interview. Um, she stops by to talk with Quill because she's heard he's asking about Daisy, and they were friends. Hmm. And Tiffany shares with Quill that Daisy was pregnant and wanted to keep the baby, but the it father's... the baby close. Yep. But the father didn't want her to. Hmm. Quill's mustache is definitely ting- tingling right now, by the way, and he's clearly <laughs> on the cusp of discovering something. If only he could get through to the right person. Hmm. Purses? Anyway. We go back to the To the non-mystery part of the story As Melinda continues her aggressive assault On Quill's bachelor status Um, And he's still not objecting anywhere near as strenuously As he has in the past Um, He even somehow agrees to her suggestion That he host a vintage-style dinner party With her as hostess Hmm. Even after she insults Iris' cooking
1: Never insult Iris' cooking No, never insult, no
0: but she does mention something that's really kind of cool about the, about Moose County, and that is a very robust theatrical tradition. Uh, because when Quill asks about uh, uh, butlers and footmen, four hundred miles north of everywhere, she says, "Oh, don't worry about it. The owner of the local department store, Larry Lanspeak, loves playing butler, and the Fitch twins are home from Yale to play the footmen. They've already got their costumes from a production of The Student Prince." Now, as an you, sh- you should
1: clarify that the butler, you say this is this is this is a re- reference to a, a musical that I did not know about until you told me.
0: In, in I, I checked some dates. It's uh-huh. not a musical, but it's based on the same source material. It's the P.G. Wodehouse Jeeves books. Okay, uh, and there Vaguely uh, heard of them. yeah, and there are some plays that were written along that. So Larry Lanspeak, when he's playing the butler, he's playing literally playing Jeeves. Um, it, well, and and uh, uh, Sir Lloyd, Sir Lloyd Webber did try and write a musical um, to uh, using the same source material. It did not do well,
1: and that was by Jeeves, correct?
0: Uh Yes, his was by Jeeves, I think. Well, the book is by Jeeves. I'm going to pause, pause for a moment for station identification and for Luke to look this up and see and see what I'm doing wrong.
1: Uh, by Jeeves is actually oh, we are wrong. It is not Andrew Lloyd Webber. It is Alan Ackborn. No, no, no. I take it back. It's Alan Ackborn and wow, that's a absurdist, ridiculous combination of a lyricist and a composer. Uh, yes, it is a, originally a musical that was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber with lyrics and book by Alan Ackborn based on the P.G. Wodehouse books uh, of the character Bertie Wooster and his loyal valet, Jeeves. It premiered in 1975 at Her Majesty's Theatre in London. The show flopped originally, only running for less than a month. After rewrites, it was produced both in 1996 in London, America, and premiered on Broadway in 2001, and promptly... Closed,
0: But the plays are cute, and that speaks to the kind of old-fashioned-y kind of things that they would be doing in Pickaxe.
1: 73 performances. (laughs) Anyway.
0: Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Um, So, obviously, there's a great theatrical tradition up here. We're going to learn more about that in in upcoming books. but for right now, we've got our we've got our butler and we've got our footman. The idea of a of a vintage dinner party is an absolute hit, and the invited guests are thrilled. We've got Quill, we've got Melinda, Junior Goodwinter, Amanda Goodwinter, Roger McGillvary, Sharon, and Mildred Hanstable, Alexander and Penelope Goodwinter, and of course our Riker, who's now visiting from down below now that his divorce is public knowledge. <laughs>
1: Can't keep it hidden, so might as well might, just enjoy the
0: party. Might as well enjoy the party. Quill is approached by the chief of police, uh, Andrew Brody, after speaking at the local boosters chief club. Chief Brody. Chief Brody. Chief Brody. Well, we know what happened to him after that shark. This is a different Brody. I know. It's we
1: like co- the, We it's like his, this Brody. It's his cousin.
0: Uh, something like that, yes. Uh, <laughs> his very, very Scottish cousin. Um, uh, anyway, so... Chief Brody approaches him about the information that he requested about the disappearance of Daisy Mole, And it turns out that the date that she disappeared, the Dimsdale mine had a terrible cave-in. And he remembers this because he had to get des- deputies posted around the clock until a fence could be put up. Huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. So when Arch arrives, he and Quill shoot the breeze and the six o'clock news comes on the radio announcing the de- a death due to an overturned tractor. Sad. As they are about to turn in after their evening of shooting, Can the they breeze. They
1: say who the death is. No,
0: they, 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 every, all of the news comes in sound bites. <laughs> And like, and and back in the day when you only got short bits of information, you know, you'd Mm -hmm. have the first report that would say nothing, uh, except that what's happened, and then you would get more information. Well, especially
1: at the radio, it could be one at the top of the hour, one at the middle of the hour. Exactly. Well, in this case, unfortunately, we have to wait till the 11 o'clock news
0: to find out that the victor of that, uh, the victim, uh, not the victor, unfortunately. The (laughs) the the victim
1: of that tractor accident. The victim
0: of the tractor turnover is Tiffany Trotter. Oh, no! Except that it wasn't death by tractor, it was death by gunshot.
1: Oh. She was sniped. I thought you were going to say death by cow. Sadly, no. <laughs> the cow sat in, in, in kick cow sits on you. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Anyway,
0: Quill is clearly on the scent here and Arch costs him to lay low if he doesn't want to be the next victim. Mm. Quill, at this point, is ready to throw out Daisy Mole's clothes now that we've learned all that we can from them, but Coco stops him by drawing attention to the suitcase in which they're kept in where Quill finds $1,000 in crisp $100 bills. In the suitcase? In the suitcase ah. line. Now, If Daisy had money, why would she leave it behind when she disappeared if she actually disappeared? At this point, Quill is pretty sure that Daisy is dead. Um, And he just needs a few more clues to figure out who might have helped her disappear for good. But unfortunately, in the meantime, he has to do the dinner party, which comes off with great success and surprising everyone. Arch and Amanda hit it off. Oh really? Exactly. Everyone's surprised, including them. Huh. <laughs> Arch reveals in the morning when he returns that he'd be willing to move to Moose County if Quill maybe bought the Picayune. Remember the uh, the local newspaper mm-hmm. that t- talks about chicken dinners and uh, and, <laughs> and and for sale items. But he suggests that if Quill bought the Picayune for him to run which is currently unlikely uh since senior goodwinter uh i think that we're
1: up to six Goodwinters now uh six goodwinters now and, and senior yes. is his name senior is his name just like junior is senior
0: is name. his name oh anyway <laughs> we,
1: we have an eighth month old there's so much
0: child music running That's around the so house. much
1: Ratchet but anyway
0: so senior sorry but anyway senior goodwinter um however, is unlikely to sell because he's still setting type which he by hand, which mm-hmm. he's been doing since the age of eight, um, and proudly brags that the paper hasn't changed since it was started by his great-grandfather in 1859. Oh, oh, oh. Quill does say he'll think about it because maybe there's a way that we can keep the Picayune as a historical document and then create a new newspaper that'll actually, you know,
1: have news. Be in the 20th century.
0: <laughs> One can hope. Quill then decides that he hasn't explored Daisy's old apartment and he takes Quil- Coco on a walk. Mm. Uh, to see if Coco can maybe turn up something, which he does. Coco it's,
1: always has good luck that Coco way. Coco always
0: has great luck. He also finds some mice, um, which, you know, well, makes things yes, much more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, But what, what Coco turns up is a diary. It's nearly illegible. Apparently Daisy and Joy from The Cat Who Saw Red have similar ideas about handwriting being pretty but not legible. But it can be made out that uh, that she reveals the initials of her baby's father, which is S.G., SG. Quill identifies three men locally thanks to the 14-page phone book (laughs) (laughs) who might have those initials, immediately dismissing first Senior Goodwinter, too old, Mm-hmm. Scott Gipple, too fat. It's a running joke. It's a running joke that this poor man requires two chairs at a city council meeting. Um,
1: running's a bad way of putting it. He's fat. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: exactly. <That's- laughs> um, the third, however, is a possibility. The remaining SG is Sam Gaffner, who's a real estate broker and a fairly reasonable suspect. He's attractive. He's wealthy. Um, could certainly hand off a thousand dollars without thinking about it, and would definitely not want it known that he fathered a child with a mole. Mm. Having come to this conclusion after enjoying some of Iris' ex- excellent macaroni and cheese, Quill decides to go for a bike ride. Hmm. Next thing he knows, he wakes up in the hospital and we're back where the book started.
1: Yes, it's, it's back to the hi. You're wondering how I got here.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she doesn't use this device very often, but she but it does come into play a couple of times throughout the series mm-hmm. to have that kind of flashback moment so you can get the sense of what led up to whatever moment we're dealing with.
1: And now with this, I think this is a good question to ask since we're talking about that, is in what style are the books written? It's not Obviously, it's not first person from Quill's perspective.
0: Not quite. Uh, Quill is... Quill is kind of the unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is written from his perspective, but he's not writing in the first person. So now that now that we've uh, we figured out that he's had an accident and it's Quill, being naturally suspicious, begins to wonder if somebody's trying to bump him off.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He checks out the terms of the will um, and finds out that if he does not live in pickaxe for the full five years, including if he dies, the money will immediately go to a New Jersey contingent.
1: To New Jersey.
0: To New Jersey. Remember, Fanny worked in New Jersey right, as a right, club right. woman. Um, so apparently she had made some promises there that if her uh, original uh, intendee of her fortune does not fulfill the terms of the will, then they get all the money. So it's a reasonable suspicion that somebody might possibly be trying to bump him off from the New Jersey contingent.
1: Tony Soprano.
0: Exactly. Arch, who's come back to, uh, help, to help facilitate him back to the house... Tries to tell him not to be a hero and to let the, as he puts it, forty-seven affluent goodwinters buy some books for the libraries. <laughs> but we know that Quill has a savior complex, and that mm-hmm. won't let him leave an entire county in the lurch because if he dies or he leaves or he leaves the money behind, none of it stays. No and picks one gets, it. it. Doesn't stay. It doesn't stay in pickaxe. Pickax. It goes. To, it goes to New Jersey, and he just he just can't do that. Quill does present his suspicions to Penelope. And she, of course, claims no knowledge of anyone in the area who might possibly have a grudge. So Quill does something fairly smart, and he announces his intentions to write a will of his own to assert his claim to the K fortune, so that in the case of his death, if it if it happens suddenly, it can be termed suspicious.
1: Hmm. Okay, that is very smart.
0: It is, actually. Roger then stops by with Laurie's latest batch of letters and some gossip from the Dimsdale Diner. Apparently, Alexander Goodwinter was back in town for longer than five seconds and stopped by to meet with our favorite, uh, with our favorite lazy carpenter, Birch Tree. <laughs> and while they were at the Dimsdale Diner, they uh, they had gone out to a car and money changed hands after an argument. Hmm. This is after Iris reports that Per Mrs. Fulgrove, who apparently also cleans for the for the brother and sister, they've had multiple screaming matches while she was there to clean. Now, most of the community thinks Alexander is an upstanding citizen. Quill is beginning to have his suspicions. Understandable. Now that Arch has gone home, Quill invites Junior over for Iris's cooking while she is once again out in a historical society, meaning Iris, by the way, is taking to Moose County life like a duck to water. She's being embraced by the historical society. She's been encouraged to join the boosters. She's doing all of these wonderful things. This is a woman who has found her place in life. It's really kind of lovely to see. You know, good for her. Exactly. That's great. Her taste in men, mm-hmm. not so much. Oh. It never does quite no, go that way. We'll, well.
1: we'll see that later on. I'm we guessing. will. <laughs>
0: we will. But while they're out to dinner, uh, Junior's beeper goes off. Yes, this is back in the days of beeper. Ah, ah, and that's ah, because Junior is a volunteer firefighter. So oh. when he gets called, he has to go to a blaze. Mm-hmm. So while he's gone to the blaze, whatever is on fire, Penelope, by the way, Penelope then calls to ask if she can visit and bring a bottle. Coco predicts the outcome of this uh, of this meeting by knocking volumes of a poem called Doomsday off the shelf. And it is Penelope arrives drunk with a capital D and drinks more while she tells Quillen that his brother is planning to marry a woman he met in DC and make her a partner in the law firm Hmm. while still expecting Penelope, of course, to do the lion's share of the work. And Penelope swears that Alexander is so disliked in Moose County that he couldn't get elected dog catcher, which is a fun vintage uh, term of phrase, but it is to be expected from someone who, as her cousin claims, she still eats ice cream with a fork. Still. It was, it was a thing in 1920s, uh, etiquette books apparently that hey. you ate ice cream with a fork. that
1: makes no sense but- so
0: penelope's <laughs> a little bit prim penelope as we figured out is very prim and proper mm-hmm. um so it makes sense that she'd use a phrase like couldn't get elected dog catcher and at this point she is becoming so enraged that she swears that alexander won't bring this new woman in unless it's over her dead body
1: oh.
0: at that point quillen decides it's time to pour her into the car drive her home handing her to alexander with the recommendation that she take a vacation and soon <laughs> the next morning Mildred delivers blueberries. Yay, blueberries! Mm-hmm. And Quill hands her Daisy's illegible diary. Fortunately, as we've said before, Mildred was Daisy's former teacher and is able to, able to decipher some of the journal. The father of her baby is revealed to be someone called Sandy.
1: Hmm. Daisy
0: was happy about the baby, but the journal ends with Sandy telling her to have an abortion and giving her money to pay for it. But her mother is the one is suggested is the one who suggests that she have the baby and make him pay for it. Oh. Reading through this, Mildred is understandably upset. Mm-hmm. and decides to leave to go get her hair done um coco has been behaving oddly all days ever since the diary got read. and then at 2 a.m he performs his death dance around the diary knocks it off the counter wakes quilleran up mm-hmm. begins performing the death dance at 6 a.m quilleran learns that penelope has committed suicide oh jeez! she was found in her car in the in her garage with a bottle of scotch and the motor running mm. with no more information at this point Quill meets with Amanda Goodwinter, who expresses surprise that Penelope would commit suicide. As as Amanda says, she was more likely to blow her to blow her brother's brains out if he had any. <laughs> tells you what? Tells you a lot about Alexander. Mm-hmm. And after lunch, Coco, our favorite postmaster, delivers a large ivory envelope to Quill, which turns out to be Penelope's suicide note—or is it? This is a note that Penelope requested that Mrs. Fulgrove mail the mail in case of her sudden demise. And whoo oh boy, we got a lot to unpack here. Okay. The letter explains that Alexander, who is called Sandy by Daisy, is the father of the child, hence Sandy Goodwinter, SG. Sandy
1: Goodwinter. Okay, are they going to explain why they're calling him Sandy?
0: Because Daisy can, couldn't bother to manage Alexander.
1: Sa- Alexander, San- Sandy. Sandy. Sandy.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, I can
1: kind of see it, but okay. Uh,
0: it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> either way, Alexander's the father of the child who tried to get her to have the abortion, and Della helped Daisy file the paterni- tried, to fi- tried to file the paternity suit. Birch Trevelyan, Trevelyan um, is a longtime family friend who was because he was hired as the biggest bully in school to protect Alexander from bully from other bullies when he and Penelope were kids at public school in pickaxe. There's a whole yeah. thing about their parents trying to give them a taste of, quote unquote, normal life um, and sending them to the public schools until, as Penelope puts it, then we were very sensibly back, sent, sent to boarding schools back east. <laughs> um, so birch tree is used to getting money from the good winters Mm -hmm. and so it makes sense that he would also then be hired by penelope to encourage daisy to get that abortion and leave town with money paid through birch to daisy birch decides to go a step further and he's the one who buried her alive in the mine cave in dimsdale oh god birch and alex decide that with quill asking questions they need to silence the other witnesses that he might talk to Mm -hmm. which are della and tiffany oh no uh, Birch, poison, Birch visits and poisons Della. He's also the, sni- he, he's also the sniper who shot, she shot, who shot uh, Tiffany por- off her, uh, mm. off her tractor, which is ironic because then he gets to play a sympathetic friend when Tiffany's husband shows up to get mad at Quill for asking questions and getting her killed. After this point, Birch and Alex have started I'm talking about getting rid of Quill, and Penelope tries to step in apparently, but writes that it's that it's likely the men will devise a manner to get rid of her instead in a manner that resembles suicide. And then a bomb goes off. Not really. It's actually Coco trying to wake up Quill because someone is in the house and it's coming for Quill. The intruder trips over the cat's commode. Twill sma- Quill smashes him with a, mo- a majolica vase over the top of his head, causing him to fall on the floor and break his arm on Flagstar.
1: And who is this person? And it
0: turns out that it's Birch
1: Tree. Birch mm.
0: Simple enough, he made a spare key when he was putting in the new locks. Uh He's uh, far too easy. And his plan was to sneak in, bash Quill in the head, before dumping him down another mine shift. (laughs) He was also the one who tried to run Quill off the road.
1: Oh.
0: He was coming back to finish the job. After all of the murders were made public, Alexander Goodwinter crashes his private plane to commit suicide. And Quill and Coco spend the end of the book speculating if Penelope was actually murdered or if she did commit suicide to frame her brother in Birch. Setting and off. And that is where the book ends. Oh,
1: setting it, so, hmm... Means to an end means for it, uh, Interesting.
0: Means she doesn't, you know, in, in case Alex actually did develop a spine and did bring the woman back, but then Penelope wouldn't have to live there. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if he's, then, if he's then implicated in trying in all of these other deaths, there's no way that the woman would marry him and he's going to be miserable for the rest of his life without Penelope to begin with. Wow! So that's a lot of revenge to plan for.
1: <laughs> now, we have a lot of victims in this book, it seems like. We have poor, poor Daisy. And poor
0: Daisy Mull. We've got her mother, Della. We've got Tiffany Trotter. We've got Penelope Goodwinter and Alexander Goodwinter. So
1: two of the six Goodwinters are dead.
0: Two of the six Goodwinters are dead. Shame. A shame. And our killer is, for the most part, Birch Trevelyan. Alexander Goodwinter killed himself.
1: hmm And so the methods, we have the buried alive in the mine collapse. We have a poison. We have a sniper shot. An apparent suicide, which I hmm, I like that that possibly could have it been is, done to frame. It's like never
0: it, it's never made clear. They, they spend the end of the book wondering if if it's if it's mm-hmm. actual suicide or, or frame suicide. And then uh, actual suicide yeah. is the final killing. Because you, you know, crashing crashing your plane in a field is a pretty. Definitive
1: way to die. Yes, food, however, let's well, let's, let's move to something more cheerful something a little bit more cheerful food. Yes. There's quite a bit of it, especially with several uh, staples of Moose County with the uh, old old stone mill. Auto's yep. uh, Otto's tasty eats, yeah. hotel booze. The oldest flop house in the country, which makes me just every I hear flophouse, I think of my my one of my favorite podcasts. Exactly. But, uh, but the book ends with a new restaurant.
0: You remember that cow that Tiffany was uh, house sitting for? Uh-huh. The cow's name is Stephanie. And the family has opened oh. a restaurant with Stephanie's um, with Stephanie's name. Although apparently oh, no. in Grand Moose County tradition, the chef cannot tell the difference between broccoli and asparagus. Um, they're two very different things. Yeah, it gets worse in the next book. You can't tell the difference between an avocado and an artichoke.
1: Oh,
0: t- It's uh, terrible. <laughs> um, it should be mentioned in this in this long list of in, in this list of restaurants. The food at the hotel booze is actually very good. Okay. Um. It is. It features uh, something called the cholesterol special, which is a uh, double uh, a double bacon cheeseburger with fresh cut fries, and, and as Quill describes. Uh, after trying all the fries at the other restaurants, it's so nice to have a fry that actually tastes like it came from a potato. <laughs> One thing that gets a lot of play in this book, uh, and and throughout the... Uh, throughout moose county in general is the history of the shaft houses to all of the mines. now i didn't quite know what a shaft house was so i went and looked it up and i have some lovely pictures that i posted on our blog which if you haven't been following along from the blog that is the cat who podcast.blogspot.com if you want to go take a look i also post a lot of my notes and thoughts uh about each episode once we have uh once every podcast goes live the the blog is the place to go find some of my thoughts and notes if you want to read them um a little bit more thoroughly. No,
1: Absolutely. And we will have a link to that in the show notes uh, going forward as well, too.
0: We've got some fun signs of the times, um, (laughs) particularly like when Quill goes looking for a new bike and complains that they want more for a 10-speed than he paid for his first car. (laughs) This makes me wonder if she's still thinking of him buying a car in the 1950s, Um, because even 10-speed bikes weren't that bad in the 80s.
1: No, 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 I had a 10-speed in the 80s. Well, late 80s, but still, it was not that expensive.
0: Yes. Well, and Quill is also being encouraged to upgrade to a word processor.
1: Well,
0: yes. And and there's talk of electric typewriters and things along that line that, um, (laughs) you know, obviously computers are not a thing yet, um, but it's clear the times they are changing.
1: Now we have uh, some fun moments with the cats as well, too.
0: We have some fun moments with the cats. We have what I call a cat success, which is Roger McGilvery has stated in the previous book that he does not like cats after he got bit by a barn cat when he was a kid, which is fair. Mm -hmm. Coco, however, is out to change that and is far nicer to Roger than, frankly, any of the women Quill has ever dated. Um, (laughs) And, you know, by the end of of Roger's scene in this book, he's actually managed to pet Coco, and, you know, it's been very friendly. There is, unfortunately, a cat failure and something that kind of tugs at my heart. Um, Arch talks to Quill about the divorce and the worst part for him is that they had to put down his older cats since no one would adopt them and his wife didn't want them. Aww. And he couldn't keep them when he moved to a hotel. So well, R.I.P. Mibs and Punky. And then we also get some unpleasantness of small town life here. Um the mayor's mother was a good winter, which is why he keeps <laughs> getting reelected. But the reason he's mayor is because he was fired as the principal of the high school after a scandal involving
1: several female students. Oh, so, of course, you take him from the principal of a high school and put him in the highest position in the entire city.
0: Yes, that but makes... one where he's surrounded by adults, so he can, in theory, in theory have, be, have an eye kept on him.
1: Well, Okay, that makes a little sense, but still, that's <laughs> that's not a punishment. <laughs> not great.
0: Um, one quick thing I would like to give uh, Lillian Jackson Brown props for actually mentioning the possibility that Daisy might have had a miscarriage. Um, and how that can mentally affect someone—it's—it's it's one of the possibilities. Once they find the baby clothes, mm-hmm. that you know, part of the, her reason for her disappearing or killing herself, um, if that's what had happened, might have been because she had had a miscarriage.
1: And well, also in this time too, in the late '80s, this was still—at least I would think it was—it's—it's mm-hmm. st- it's pretty a, taboo. A, a, yeah, not not often talked about. So, and it's it's
0: still not talked about to this day, considering that uh, one in four women has has a miscarriage. I, I find it very. Encouraging that this is something that would be mentioned and was mentioned as a possibility of what could disrupt someone's mental state this much.
1: I think also the fact it's mentioned and talked about at length in this small town setting, too, that's something I think something of
0: note for sure. Yes. So this was our big and this is our first deep dive into Pickaxe. We are starting to get to know the town. We're starting to get to know the people. There's a lot to unpack and a lot to process with this book. Um, with that, when I'm looking at how I would rate this particular book in this mystery...
1: Yes. I give
0: it about two and a half. Two and a half, okay. That's it's, still not bad. It's fine, but it's convoluted, and despite a really great introduction to Pickaxe, the solution to murder feels a bit forced to me, like it was the only way that LJB could figure out how to get rid of two characters that
1: she was kind of sick of writing. Well, the, yeah, the, the trope of writing a letter is like, upon my timely death, read this letter. It'll my untimely everything. death. Yeah. And did I say timely? You did. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's not all. What I meant to say. The oh, the other goodness. thing,
0: unfortunately, that that gets brought up in the book um, that I didn't really mention because it doesn't have any bearing on the story itself. Um, the reason Penelope is so upset about um, Alexander marrying someone is because there are some not so subtle hints of the incest.
1: Ah, so we have a Lannister situation. We have going very on. much a
0: Lannister situation, um, and she goes mad with jealousy, which is another reason why. Mm-hmm it makes sense that she very easily might have decided to commit suicide to frame him to make sure that he would never be happy without her.
1: Not Maybe not Lannister considering this. Well, they're rich too. But what's that? The Flowers in the Attic?
0: Oh, God, I don't remember.
1: V.C. Andrews. Yeah, V.C. Andrews it's, it's books. A, I don't
0: remember. I never read, actually
1: read them. I, again, remember the covers. Because they of had course. those creepy-ass covers yes. that my, actually, my sister had the entire set. Uh. And the covers were just so <laughs> creepy to me. <laughs> Open it up and there's the entire family looking like straight out of a Stephen King, Children of the Corn.
0: Pretty much. Um, anyway, but
1: it's so, so un- more of like so more of like that kind of it, thing. Yeah, Interesting.
0: it's it, it's unpleasant. Mm. Um, and uh, but I really do think that she decided that she didn't actually like writing these two, and this was a good way to get rid of both of them.
1: Fair and enough. So they're gone. Yeah, but they're, that's not the last of the Goodwinners. Yeah,
0: absolutely will not the last of the good winters. We're going to meet a whole slew more in the next book.
1: <laughs> oh, lovely.
0: So thank you all for joining us for, uh, for the, cat to, uh, the Cat Who Did a Podcast. Now join us next time for The Cat Who Knew Shakespeare and Quill's Further Adventures in Pickaxe.
1: <laughs> I'm Susan Romsdorf-Terry. And I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing or...
0: Stay nosy, my friends. <laughs>